There are times in this life, yes, you are resourceful, but sometimes the best thing you have to offer someone is prayer. You may feel limited. You may feel like, what can I do? When you think about something that's bigger than your hands, then you know it's not for your hands. Well said. And many times as believers, it's difficult to accept that prayer is all that is needed. Senior Pastor George Martin Jr. wraps up part two of a sermon series entitled A Lifestyle of Faith. Follow along in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, as Pastor Martin explains. We've been spending time working through the 30th essential of prayer, recognizing how important it is for us to pray, as Jesus said, always with all prayer and supplication. But he also says men ought to always pray and not faint. So Paul uh, adds to what Jesus said is we should pray with all prayer and supplication. But Jesus, said we should always pray and not lose heart, not faint, not give up, not become discouraged because the time may go or the, the time period from when we begin praying to God's outcome becomes a bit extended. So one of the things we see here, we see here the young church is taken off. Pentecost has happened. This, the new believers feel empowered. Jesus had promised them that they would have this power. They real, they're realizing that that power is now the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. And they are feeling charged. They, you see Peter and John, and we, this is the same Peter that as we go back who denied on the other side of the cross, denied even knowing Jesus. Now he is bold and confident going into the temple at the hour of prayer. Notice this, that God sets this up to provide a miracle at the hour of prayer. That as they're going in at the hour of prayer, as we've talked about how prayer and faith are dependent, a part of a dependent union, the hour of prayer the faith of the apostles, a miracle. Having seen the risen Jesus and having spent time communing with him, and then now because he's resurrected, knowing the power of his resurrection, his disciples felt this great sense of being empowered to access that power. Because as they had stood listening they, they, had, they were intent in hearing what Jesus had to say, and he declared to them, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. So now he, they also will recall him having said to them that this power that had been given to him, he was going to give it to them. So they felt infused with this great sense of possibility. What would God do if we believe him? What can he do if, if he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think? What would he do if we believe him? 
So because they were infused with this sense of possibility, they lived with this expectation of opportunities to access this power through prayer. So naturally, as they're going, they know it's the hour of prayer. We're going to go to the temple to pray because they feel a sense of God's ability to do something at any time, or better yet, all the time. So now here we find them having come into this space, and there's a gentleman who's, who's there, and he's got a purpose his expectation is not when he comes, they, they said that they bring him there daily, but they don't, he's not coming to the temple looking for a miracle. He's just looking for a little bit of change. Just give me something, help me out as I go. But Peter and John come because as they come to this space, they come, he comes there expecting simply to get something in his hand but they understood that God had the power to put him in position that he no longer had to come and sit there daily begging because they came to the temple both with expectation but with different expectation how about us how do we come how do we come to God how do we come do we come like the man that comes and says, just give me a little something, God. Just bless me to get the job. Just bless me to keep my job. Just bless me with a, a little bit of a raise. Just bless me to just make it through. Or do we come believing that the God that we are calling on is the one who's generous in his giving and, and tends to go above and beyond all we ask, I think. So this week, we're going to conclude our time in this series. And we're going to take a look at how the apostles had a lifestyle of faith. Because they believed that they could access all power when they prayed in faith. Ninth April, the April edition of 1940 of the Detective Comics. Anyone remember what that is? For those who don't, that's DC Comics. The, the DC is Detective Comics. The April edition, 1940, uh, it was number 38. In that edition, is where Robin is introduced as Batman's sidekick. His youthful fighter in the crime, fighter in crime. And they went on to be referred to as the dynamic duo. But since we're talking about faith and not comics, I would wager that the original dynamic duo is prayer and because when you look back, you see how Batman had Robin and Robin had Batman 
And we've been learning for the last several weeks that we, in order for us to truly come to God in prayer, we must come to him with faith. So the original dynamic duo is prayer and faith. That leads me to my first point, which is, we as believers are empowered with possibility. Yes. Say that with me, empowered, empowered with possibility. Because as we've talked about in the past, that God has all this ability, and therefore we have access through that ability through prayer, and thus we now have been empowered with impossibilities because we have the ability to access his ability. In this passage, in verse number six, look what it says. Peter says to him, silver and gold have I not, but what I have, that's it right there, what I have. Because sometimes it seems like we need money. But let me tell you this, favor will go where money can never get you to. Having God's favor and his ability to come to him in prayer and access his ability will go beyond your, your paycheck, go beyond your checking account. Why? Because he says, silver and gold we don't have. And I know that's what you thought we, we, could, we could help you out with. He says, but what we do have or such as we have, we give you. There are times in this life, yes, you are resourceful, but sometimes the best thing you have to offer someone yes. is prayer. Yes. You may feel limited. You may feel like, what can I do? How can I lean in in this situation? And God says, okay, just come to me about it. Because here's how I've come to understand it. When you think about something that's bigger than your hands, then you know it's not for your hands. My dad, my dad, my dear dad, he, he, had, he, was, he, he, was a, he was a guy that wasn't real big, but he had these huge fingers. His fingers were, his, his ring finger was like a 15. Yeah, it's thick fingers. So, you know, we was trying to, I was trying to bless him. I said, okay, well, let me, let me give you, get this ring. But they, you know, they didn't have any 15s in there. You have to add some. So I said, well, he said, well, then that ain't for me. If it don't fit his hands, then it didn't belong to him. If something is too big for you, then you know at that moment, this ain't for me. I got to take it to the one who has hands big enough. No matter how great, how great it is, he has big enough the hands to handle this. The kids were coming, we were, we were taking groceries in. And so we had, I got in a case of water, and it was like 40 or so. And so uh, one of them wanted to show me that they, you know, they had some muscles, so they went to grab it. And as they're pulling, trying to figure out how to drag it out of the car, I said, that's all right. Let your daddy take care of that. Because 
when we find ourselves struggling, trying to figure it out, we have to understand this one doesn't belong to me. I'm going to have to let my daddy take care of this one. Because we are empowered with possibility, therefore, we must look to him who is able to do. But here's the thing. What we see happening in this scene is the disciples believing what Jesus said. See, he told them that I will give this power to you. And they had the audacity to believe him. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19, here's what it says. He says, behold, I give to you power or authority to trample on serpents and on scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He says, I give you power or authority. The King James Version says power. The New King James says authority. I'm, I want to use authority because here's what he's saying. He's saying, I've authorized you to use it. Okay. If someone uses your credit card without your authorization, then they are accessing what belongs to you illegally. And there can be a penalty for doing that. But he says, I'm giving you authority. I'm authorizing you to use my power through prayer if you would come to me by faith. So they believed when Jesus told them that. So they came to him with this sense that he had the ability and they had the ability to access his ability through prayer. So here's something to, to be mindful of. They didn't just wake up. We talked about this last week, how Moses didn't just wake up with all this faith. It was developed over time. I want to show you that the disciples also had their faith developed over time because faith is a process. You're not, you're going to have great faith just out of the gate. You're going to have to exercise your faith, grow faith. So here's the first thing that happened. Before turning them loose with his power, Jesus first showed them his power. Here's an example. In Matthew chapter 8, 23 through 27, we see him showing them how he could calm the sea. He steps out on the deck and says, they, they run down and say, Master, don't you care that we're going to perish? He walks out and says, peace, be still. And the Bible says that the sea did something that I've never seen it do. Anybody been to the ocean? You know that that ocean is constantly moving. But it says in the word that when Jesus said peace, it just stood still. He also showed them his power when there was a blind man that said, hey, son of David, have mercy on me. And he showed them that he had the power to open blinded eyes. Here's another case. 
Peter came to him and said, hey, master, they're, they're, they're complaining about the fact that we don't pay taxes and, you know, I, and I don't want your reputation. He says, you know what? Here's what you do. Go down to the lake, cast in. The first fish you catch. Now, I, I love the fish. And, 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 and when I go fishing and I happen to catch something, the only thing I expect to see inside his mouth is the hook to get out. But he tells Peter, he says, cast into the water, the first fish you catch, open his mouth and watch this now and make a withdrawal. The first ATM was in scripture. <laughs> Jesus had the first ATM and he used a fish to do it. Now, you know, we would, we would all be fishing if that was the case, wouldn't it? You'd be down there casting your line in. Because I need some bill money, Jesus. So watch this now. He shows them his power. But then, because he's training their faith, he also showed them his power through them. There's a couple cases where it's recorded where first uh, he sends out the 70. That's, re that's recorded. Uh, he sends out, well, first he sends out the 12. That's recorded in Mark chapter 6. He sends 12 of them out two by two and tells them, hey, go. I'm giving you the power to go in my name. Then in another case in Luke chapter 10, he, he actually sends out 70 of them. Because here's what he was trying to help them understand. If he just sends out the 12, then we all might believe that it's only certain high-level people that can believe God in big ways. So he says, okay, I sent the 12 out the first time, but now I'm going to send out 70. The 70 are those who were just following along that were in that crowd that went wherever he went, that don't get named. The 70, their only identification is that the 70. They're in the number of the 70. No names. And he sends them out. He says, behold, I'm giving to you power. So he has trained them before empowered them. So faith is a process. God will show us his power. And then he will show us his power through us. When we believe him in a way we've never believed him before to see him do something we've never seen him do before. There's a note that I would love for you to write down if you're taking notes. Note number one, it says, knowing Jesus was alive infused their prayers of faith with confidence. Knowing Jesus was alive, it infused their faith with confidence. They were confident in their prayer because they've seen the power of the resurrection. He's resurrected, he's alive. But here's what I would say to you. Those that have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, having confessed and believed that he rose from the dead, our knowing that he's alive should also infuse our faith. See, we know he's alive because one day he came alive in us. One day I was lost, but now I'm found. One day I was in darkness, now I'm in the light. One day a change happened in me. And it could only be Jesus. So knowing that he is alive 
infuse their faith with confidence, but that knowledge in us should also inspire our faith as well. I want you to turn to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter one. I'll give you time to get there. Ephesians chapter one, because in Ephesians chapter one, Paul uh, has a prayer that he records that he prayed for the church at Ephesus. And so we want to focus our attention on uh, verses 18 through 20. But I do want to read something for you because I want you to understand that he is, I want to add to that the passages that he shares before then. Because before he gets to this point, he also he speaks to the fact that he's talking to those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's, I, want, I want to read just verse 11, 12, and 13, 13 and 14, then we'll skip back down. He says, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. He says, he says, been born again, now having the Holy Spirit, that is your guarantee that you have access to this great power. Having heard the gospel, believed and received his spirit into your heart. He says, that's your guarantee of the inheritance that will come. So while we're here, we know that we have heaven's power that we can access. Now slide down to verse number 18. Because he goes on to say uh, that I pray, therefore, after I heard, uh, let's verse 15. Therefore, after also I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer. That's what I want you to see, that he's praying this prayer. Verse 18, here's what he was praying. He says, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of his glory and of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. He said, now that we understand and know the power that God has working towards us, because of the resurrection of Christ, it empowers or should infuse us as it did with the apostle with this sense that he rose from the dead and all power is in heaven and earth is in his hand. And he says, I've given that power to you the access to it through prayer. That leads us to point number two. 
Developing a lifestyle of faith is a battle. You say, well, Pastor, Pastor Martin, why, why is it a battle? Glad you asked because I've got an answer, Brother Clyde. Because doubt doesn't die easy. See, I told you that your problem, our problem is not that we don't have enough faith, it's that we have too much doubt. And, and doubt doesn't just die easy, it, it hangs in there. You got to keep on feeding faith to try to shrink it down. You got to keep on starving that doubt in order to shrink it down to the point where it has no effect. So here's the thing, another note for you to take. Just as Jesus is training your faith, Satan, that old adversary, is trying to train your doubt. He's trying to train your doubt. But here's the thing. Paul says, I can tell you that this is a battle because Paul says it's a fight. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, he says, fight the good fight of what? Faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He said, listen, fight the fight. But he says, yeah, it's a fight. But it ain't a bad fight. It's a, it's a good fight. So I've got some brothers that are going to help me out here. Uh, because what tends to happen, let me identify these dear brothers. They, they, they're coming and certainly understand because one has to in this case be the adversary the devil they were randomly chosen I'm not I'm not hinting at anybody's character I'm just simply saying one had to be the adversary and one had to be the saint in the battle amen, amen. all right so with that said brother Terry is the adversary the devil who's trying to train doubt in you to keep, let's see, he's resisting. I got, I, got, I got the right one. I'm trying to get him to move over. He's, he's, he's already fighting. Brother Jesse's going to represent the believer. What tends to happen when we hear the word fight, we think in the natural. So our natural response to hearing there's a fight is to think that we're gonna to have to fight it in ourselves, in our own ability. So what happens is we put our gloves on. Got the gloves, we know that we've got an adversary. So when the adversary comes at us, we are gonna try to block and stay on guard. But here's the problem. Paul says, there's a real battle going on. In there. They, 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 I, mean, they, I don't know, brother, step back a few, a few steps. I don't know, y'all. Let me be some, some pent-up aggression from backstage. I don't, let's, let's just make sure we keep this saved on stage. So, so we start, we get into our stance, we're ready to fight. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, he says, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war a fight according to the flesh. Because we hear fight, taking my earrings off, let me get it with you. 
But he says, although we walk in the flesh, we don't fight according to the flesh. Here's what he says. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So what he's telling us is that we understand that it's a fight in faith, but we're not going to fight it in the natural. Because Paul says in the word of God, he says, he says, listen, Ephesians chapter six, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So first of all, get your feet shod with peace and get your, your, your waist, your emotions settled with truth. And then he goes on and says, but above all, take the shield of faith. And then he says, you got to be able to fight with something because you can defend with the shield, but you got to fight. He says, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Because as we told you that you got, you got to have prayer and faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I've got to have my faith and my shield. But he also says, put on the helmet of salvation. So what I told you some time ago, that this helmet of salvation, your faith that saves you is your foundational faith. It's the faith that moves from faith to faith, from faith for salvation to faith in confidence in God. So you got to keep this helmet of salvation on reminding yourself that I'm saved and because I'm saved I've got access to the power of God because I'm saved I'm his child because I'm saved when I call him he listens but here's something else so in that Ephesians letter he refers to it as the breastplate of righteousness but he also then speaks of in 1 Thessalonians, write this down, chapter 5, verse 8, he talks about putting on the breastplate of faith and love. So, he, so understanding, in the natural he had gloves. And he's going to try to do the best he can to block. But he says, but the weapons of our warfare are not cornered. They're mighty through God through the pulling out. The spiritual warfare we're in can only be fought with the weapons that God has given. And here's what we see. Before he was unprotected. Now, get him, devil. Because here is the key. Sometimes the things that we believe in God, they affect our heart. A loved one that's sick. Pain that you felt all your life. 
So having the breastplate of faith reminds you, because he said the breastplate of faith and love, I can believe God loves me enough to do what he promised to do. And I have protection when the enemy comes against me. I've got my shield of faith. And when he keeps going coming, I've, I can push him back with my sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And if he happens to get a blow through, I've got the breastplate of faith and love. And then when all else has failed, I got to remind myself, I'm saved. He saved me. Here's the thing. Why would he respond to my faith to save me and not respond to my faith to keep me? Why would he respond to my faith to save me and not respond to my faith to keep me, to protect me, to watch over, to walk into my situation and do something that I've never seen him do before? Because he's able. Thank you, brothers. Please, thank you. So we see here, faith is a fight, but it's a good fight. It's not a bad fight because we can win. The one who, we, who fights with us and fights for us is already victorious. Which leads us to this, point number three, last one. Faith establishes believers as victors and makes way for faith-filled living. Amen. It's a long point. Faith establishes believers as victors and makes way for us to live a faith-filled life, which essentially becomes a lifestyle of faith. First John chapter five, verse four, here's what it says. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Because th the thing that we must take from this today is victors in spiritual battle are not made, they're born. Victors in spiritual battle, it's not made, they're born. Because notice he says, Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this victory we have is by our faith. A victor is a person who, who defeats or an enemy or an opponent, someone that is able to go into a battle and still come out victorious or to overcome. But I want to say this to you because the key is, we say this oftentimes, we sing songs that we are uh, overcomers. Amen? Amen? We would all agree that we overcome. But I want to propose this, that to just be a conqueror or an overcomer is living beneath your privilege. To just be a conqueror is to live beneath your privilege. What do you mean, Pastor Martin? Turn real quick to Romans chapter 8 and 37. Paul, after having listed a number of things that can rise up in our life that, that will come against faith and cause you to throw your hands up and, and, and fret and feel like, 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 like all is lost, 
he concludes that list with this in verse 37. Yet in all these things, we are not just conquering. He said we are more than that. So that's what I mean by if I just conquer, I'm living beneath my privilege. You know, we don't want to be below privilege. If we got some privileges, we want to take advantage of them. You ever traveled? You know, I, this happened. We had a relative uh, that, that booked a hotel for us. You know, I guess they were on the budget. They, 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 you know, I. And I'm not, I'm not knocking anything. Just let me just understand. I just believe that I'm able to do better than that. So we walk in and feel like the carpet was sticking to my shoulder. I'm like, <laughs> had this ever been cleaned? And then I. I said, well, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> I'll get my credit card out and get us somewhere else. The babies, they didn't know any different. They run in, yeah, they are. Hey, don't touch anything. <laughs> don't touch anything. Get your, get your bag up off the floor. Come on, we're going on right on back down to, thank you, sir. Here's the key back. Why? Because I just believe I'm privileged enough to live above that. So here's what I'm trying to help you understand. To just be a conqueror is to live beneath your privilege. Because God says we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. But here's the key to all of this. I just said it. According to the word of God, it says, these are the ones who overcome the world. Those that are born of God. So I've been talking about all this power and all this ability, but I must say to whomever's listening today, you only gain access to all this power if you're born again. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.